Logarithm's Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns and application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team's skills up to date. IT Pro TV's team solution provides group pricing and access to their supervisor portal. You'll gain full control over your team's training schedule, see individual and group analytics, and more. IT Pro TV does IT Live every day, so you know you're getting the most current IT training. Go to itpro.tv forward slash enterprise security and use the code ES30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. To learn more about IT Pro TV's team solution, sign up for a free demo of their supervisor portal. Welcome back, everyone. Make sure you check out SANS HackFest, November 13th through the 20th. There's two days of talks and six days of training. Uh, it's happening in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, again, November 13th through the 20th. Coinapalooza with Net Wars, Cyber City Missions, Secret Challenges. Ed Scotus uh, is leading this uh, particular summit. Um, you get $300 off the HackFest Summit, which is the two days of talks, the 13th and the 14th. I will be there presenting Security Weekly. We'll be there with all kinds of free giveaways uh, and doing interviews with people. Uh, the $300 off can be used on sands.org forward slash HackFest17 and using the discount code HackFest17. Make sure you check out our friends at Grimm, grimm-co.com. Check out their product, Crossbow. You can use it to test your security architecture in new and interesting ways. So make sure you go test, check that out. Test your network and architecture. It's pretty awesome. No, it is. It's, I mean, uh, I've you've it seen the like Lego blocks build malware yeah. and deploy it to your it's environment? Like super it's super cool. That's badass. It's badass. All right. Hey, Don, did you want to start our discussion on network security architecture? I know you kind of hinted towards you had some ideas of where you wanted to start. Sure. You know, um, so when it comes to network security, right, there, there's a million products that are out there. There's a ton of different ways to do it. But I, I really feel like as an industry, we need to, to take a step back and look at some kind of older technologies that are, just aren't being properly used today. And mm -hmm. I, I cringe every time I hear, it seems to be happening a lot lately, is so-and-so leaked customer or voter data or patient data through an Amazon S3 bucket that wasn't secure. <laughs> and you, you you see it so much. You're like, come on, everybody who has an S3 bucket should know. Like, go and, and check your policies. It's very, very simple. But even on the internal networks, people aren't following standard practices to secure their network. And there's so much we could do when you design a network. Even if you're not the one who designed it, when you come and you can improve a network, to improve security and help to minimize that chance of exposure. Uh, I, I'd like to hit on a couple of different ways of doing that and, sure. and hopefully kind of remind people of how they <laughs> should mm -hmm. be designing. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I used to do a little talk that I called um, everything I, I learned about networking I learned from Tom Clancy. And, <laughs> and, hmm. Hmm. and in, in a lot of his novels, you know, he would talk about terrorist attacks, now they operated in cells and, and all that. Um, when you have your network configured and you have your data, you should be treating it the same way. You should have cells. You should be using things like VLANs, right, uh, virtual local area networks, to create smaller networks. And we used to do that. You know, back back in the, the 90s, 
if you had a network of more than like 80 computers, the traffic on the network was just too much because it was mostly hub-based networks, and so you had to segment. But today, our switch-based networks can have hundreds, even thousands, all on one segment. It's not a big deal. So, so many people have a flat network. And as soon as that network gets penetrated, the whole thing is open, right? Everything is exposed. And it's just a, a giant mistake that people make. And if they would just take the time and say, you know what? Let's divide these computers up based on a policy of access, right? What do they need? If this is a server that's supposed to be talking to the internet, I'm going to put it in one separate network. And then I'll take workstations, put them in a separate one, printers in a third one. And by doing that, they can not only have better control, but they have better visibility. They can recognize when there's traffic that shouldn't normally be flowing because it's all kind of broken into pieces. Now, and Don, that's, I, a, I, wanna, I think, a big mistake people are making. I want to clarify one point that, that you just made. And a lot of people in today's modern switching environments, you can create a lot of VLANs as well. I mean, sure, yep. you could have a big open flat network, but you can also have a lot of power today to create a lot of VLANs. I think the, the software that implements VLANs has come a long way. Oh, yeah. I worked at a university you know, several years ago and actually witnessed that as we did network upgrades, the ability to VLAN and manage the network got so much better in the past 15 years. However, so people are creating VLANs now, and they're like, oh, I'm segmenting the network. And I'm like, no, not, not really, because you, you've created different segments, but you have no rules about what can flow between those segments, so you might as well have a big flat network. Exactly. <laughs> so I see yeah. that a lot. And if you've deployed VLANs just to minimize broadcast traffic, yeah. then that works, mm -hmm. but it gives you no security. <clears throat> so the big advantage of a VLAN is it gives you control, that you have a filter point in yeah. between you know, any traffic entering and exiting that VLAN. And you need to be really specific. Like, uh, you know, it is commonplace for people to just have a single DMZ VLAN. And so all their internet crap mm -hmm. is in this one DMZ. Well, w what servers are most likely to get compromised? The internet ones. And, and if one gets compromised, the whole DMZ is now wide open. So you should really break those apart and say, you know what? I'm going to have a web server DMZ and then that way, you know, a VLAN. And that way we can monitor the traffic going in and out of that VLAN and say, is it web traffic? Because if it's something other than web traffic, that's not supposed to be there. And if you've got file servers, if you've got database servers, by breaking them apart into their own networks, be they physical or, or VLANs, you can now monitor for traffic that doesn't match the normal pattern. It's easy to spot and, and to be able to stop and, and trim that off. And it makes your security footprint so much smaller, so much easier to manage that then you can focus on the really advanced attacks that, yeah. you know, the, but, the, the attacks but, well, that and are then, coming then like you can have protection. Then you can have spanning tree, yep. which is just, I mean, that is that a solution or a, a problem? I'm not. Well, <laughs> it's a little bit of both. It, is, it, it depends is. on yeah. It depends it on a lot. Solves of one problem, creates another yes, one. Yes, exactly. Hey, subscribe. I feel like, like I had a problem, so I created some VLANs and I solved that problem. But then I needed spanning tree. Now I got, now a, whole I got a whole new, new set, set of problems. even more complicated problems <laughs> yes. than I had before. And there uh, are, I mean, in the Don's point too. Go ahead. What were you going to say about spanning tree? Spanning Don? tree just. Spanning tree just means you don't know how to document your network. Yeah, well, that's true too. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, it's so so I, I okay, so so I completely agree with everything that was said. I, I I really do. But but here's the thing: being a consultant for a lot of small enterprises, here's why people don't do those things. The reason they do them is time, mm -hmm. because every time you add a segment, you add a management problem. 
Yes. You add a documentation problem. So the minute you, and I'm not saying don't do this. You should be doing it. Mm -hmm. You should be terrified if you're not doing it. Please be terrified. But but this is why they don't, because it takes time. And they come in and they say, we need to really, you know, the IT people, the networking people are saying, let's do this. We're going to build this really elaborate, very sophisticated thing with spanning tree and all these VLANs and whatever. And then the CEO says, how many hours is that going to be? Well, what if you didn't do that? Could you have it up and running in the next, say, 30 minutes? Because my favorite show is coming on Netflix. And it, it doesn't happen. And then when they talk about documentation, we see this all the time. Because you go in and you say, I'm going to document tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to document. But today, that doesn't work. Lightning hit the server. Lightning hit the switch. Mm-hmm. I've got to fix it. We're down. And you're working on that. And then tomorrow you come in and water filled the basement. And you say, oh, we got to pull all this stuff and get it back up and running. And the next thing you know, eight weeks went by and you have all these things that you didn't do. Same thing with the DMZ. They stick everything in there, turn it on. It works. The website's up. And you go, we're going to be down for a day while we sort this out and try to VLAN all this and make it nice and secure. And you should be doing those things, but that's why people don't because of that. And then there's one more. The, the other one is it's complicated. Mm-hmm. The minute you get into this stuff, you've, com- you've complicated your network design. Plugging everything into one place and turning it on and hoping the lights all go green and everybody can get to what they want, that's a lot easier than segmenting every single thing out, every single group out. Yeah, you got no control, you got no security, but so often there is no separate security organization that's oversighting this and saying you must do these things. It's just one person or two people who are like, I have 8,000 things on my milestone board. They have to be done today. And Let me give down. you a, a great example and, and talk about network security architecture. And, and typically that opportunity presents itself, and I think it was Don that said it, is you want to make your network tighter, right? You don't want to yes. have the big broadcast domains. Right. And it's really for network management, not necessarily security. But to your point, Doug, security has to be there along the way. When I started at the university, I want to say many of the dorms were still on hubs, not managed switches. Yes, yeah. And the big network project... Shortly after I started there, they were converting every single dormitory to a managed... Every student would have a managed switch port on a yeah. Cisco managed switch. And go. that was like, for security, I'm like, this is awesome now, oh, right? Because yeah. now we can put... And you, you're right. They don't want to do it in the beginning because think about that. You've <laughs> got, got 10,000 or 20,000 ports out there. They're all on hubs today. The problem is the students need network access, and it was not very good when they were all on these old <laughs> hubs, right? And now they're going to all managed switches. You can't come into security and say, well, all these controls have to be there day yeah. one, but you want to work with them and understand the functionality and plan out product. And it got better over time such that we were able to turn off individual switch ports. We were able to put the... Uh, the what was the command to say you can't plug a, a hub uh, or another switch into this port for the students? Stickies, uh, oh, spanning tree port, port security, port security. Oh, yeah. well, port security, stickies, port yeah. security, right? Um, and also make sure they can't create loops within right. the network as well, yeah, which exactly. you can't do with hubs. If someone wants no. to create a loop, you, oh, yeah. you can create a loop with a hub, and it was fantastic. It's I was there. Awesome denial of service approach. Broadcast storms were a thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and then once the switches they came even in. They had a meter on the yeah. hub that showed you the broadcast. It was like yeah. the level of the current broadcast yeah. storm, and it was like when it gets into yellow, it's like, oh, just unplug everything and plug it back in. Hopefully right. it'll come back up. Yeah. 
So, uh, it, but there's an opportunity to apply. Oh, they, and they should there. be. It's yeah. just it, it is a difficult thing with small enterprises, and you know mm-hmm. because they don't have a lot of resources. And so, and when you do that, and there's evolutionary problems as well. Like universities often have that where they've got oh, there's Dr. Fung's lab over there, and Dr. Fung's lab is like running some an- antiquated thing. Mm-hmm. He's got a prime down there running on you know coal fired or whatever. And when we try to plug that in, you know, it's a big problem. So it, it makes a big security challenge. It, it, it's great stuff to do, and you need to be thinking about it, but you've got to devote some time to it. You're going to have to put some cycles in there in order to be able to think this through, have a plan, and then stick to the plan. Don, what, what, uh, let's start with you with this question. I wanted to uh, – I get the question a lot from people in enterprises. They're like, well, how much should I rely on my next-generation firewall? Because firewalls now come with all these fantastic features above and beyond firewalling. How much should I rely? What should I implement that's included in my next generation firewall? You know, it, there's there's a couple of different angles, and, and usually when people are promoting the next gen firewall, what they're really promoting is their uh, it'll have some buzzword name, you know, like Cisco's Firepower, but their advanced threat feed, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're sending you this threat data from all over the world. It's amazing. Um, that stuff is really not that much different than desktop antivirus software. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's only mm-hmm. so sophisticated. You know, you you really, if they've already found an attack, then yes, you get protected and that's nice, but you can't rely on that solely. But I'll tell you that the biggest advantage of next-gen firewalls is that they're almost all built with the idea of having data correlation behind them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a, a seam somewhere that's collecting the data because I think we've all learned now that you can't just see an attack on one firewall, that it takes having the firewall data and switch data, router data, server data, and you correlate it all together, and then you see the attack when all the pieces of the puzzle are put together. So having a seam years ago was a big cost, right? And going back to Doug's point, if you're a small company, a medium company, a university, you might not have yep. that funding or, or whatever. But today, there's there's perfectly good seam products out there that are completely free, and you can deploy and start collecting information. And then as you start to see the value, you invest in things that are more expensive, you know, like, like Logarithm, which mm-hmm. does a great job but has a, a hefty cost behind it. Uh, but that cost is there because it, it helps you to see data you wouldn't normally see. So I don't think people should rely just on a next-gen firewall. It, it's like the old defense in depth saying that right. that's one point mm-hmm. of entry. You could have an attacker behind the firewall, and now that doesn't help you at all. So that's where having additional layers of security come in really handy. And, you know, when I talked about, like, filtering for a VLAN, that would be filtering traffic coming in, but also filtering traffic going out. Mm-hmm. We need to keep an eye on that because data exfiltration and spreading yeah. of, of uh, infections, that's a, a big deal. So, like, the WannaCry, where a machine would get infected and start blasting on, on port... Uh, uh, what was it, 143 or, or whatever uh, SMB four, used. 445? Four, four, is it 445? Four, 443. Uh, oh, I think it's, yeah. 445 four, 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 is SMB. Uh, whatever, SMB. Anyhow, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 445. <laughs> four, four, yeah. But it was, it was traffic you wouldn't normally expect to see on the Internet. And so that's traffic that shouldn't have been allowed, even leaving our network. Like, mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't have traffic on that port leaving my firewall to go to the Internet. But people are in this habit of saying, I'm not going to filter outbound traffic because it's too much work. And we've got to stop coddling that behavior. We've got to stop saying that's okay. We've <laughs> yeah. got to say, if you do this and you get compromised, you're accepting that risk. You're saying, I would rather have convenience now and take the risk. But if you go to an executive that's resistant and ask them a simple question, what would it look like for our company 
if our customer data was compromised. <clears throat> so, you know, what what would the what would the customers think? What would the public think? What would the the legal system think? Right? Are are we liable if that data gets out? Are we going to lose our customers? Are our competitors going to get an advantage? But do cherry harm? A lot of times they. <laughs> Yeah, Doug and, and they term. might not be able to assign a dollar value to mm -hmm. it, but there's an emotional value there. They're going to recognize, okay, we need to do something. And it's not that expensive. It's not that much work to, to do VLANs, to put in firewalls, to correlate data, to have a seam. It's not that much work. People but, need to but, quit being sissies you know, and put some money in it. I saw an ad <laughs> just today, actually. I saw an ad on, I think it was on Facebook, and it was for a product, the next-gen product. And it basically said, you don't have time for security. You don't have time to monitor your networks. Use our product. Plug it in. And they're ba basically what marketing has decided to do is they're going to try to sell it to you as fire and forget. And, that, and that's going to be a bad thing because all that flashy stuff's going to be in front of your CEO. It's going to be in front of your CIO who may not know enough about that. And all of a sudden, guess what? You've got a big problem because they're telling you, oh, just plug this thing in, turn it on, and it works. And, and I'll tell you, I have seen stuff where people spent money. They put ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on a product, set on a shelf, turned it on, and all the green lights came on, and they went, yeah. We're, we're protected. And then you went and looked at it and went, no, you, you never actually enabled you know, any of the feature set. It's just basically straight pipe. And you know, there's like people using The one I saw, they were using it for like a porn hub to store porn on their database <laughs> server and then streaming the porn off the database server. And the guy was like, well, I guess that's why our network's so slow. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you've got like a half a million users in here using your database server. Now, what about application <laughs> detection? That was one of the first things that I think Next Generation Firewalls really promised. Mm -hmm. uh, is that much better today? I think some of the folks that I've talked with said that it is much better. And how does that play into your network security architecture? The, the big thing for me is that it's faster today than yeah. it used to be because it, it wasn't at wire speed before. You, mm. you had to decode the packet, look yep. inside it. You know, deep, deep packet inspections where it all started. Uh, now they can do a lot of it in hardware. There's checksums they can run. They can do some of it without even decoding. So it's, it's a lot faster. And you have a ton of protocols out there that uh, are just super easy to masquerade, that you can hide behind... Um, you know, a standard protocol like uh, HTTP. Problem is a lot of this data gets encrypted. And so when it's encrypted, it becomes that much harder to inspect. And a lot of next-gen firewalls are starting to do certificate interception mm -hmm. where your, your SSL tunnels will terminate. And that, to me, is a bit of a problem. Not from a privacy, because I, I'm not, you know... I, I don't fool myself into thinking I'm the uh, ACLU or something. You know, I, if I think I can protect my people, I'll, I'll intercept their SSL certificates. But it's hard to do it correctly. And so you can end up weakening security on your network by doing that if these devices are misconfigured. Yep. I, I completely agree. I mean, and I, I think you need to be doing that. I do think these products have improved over the last uh, few years, pr primarily because of, of pipe speed and also because of hardware processing mm -hmm. speed. I mean, you're still basically going up the stack. So you're still having to strip the packet and go all the way up to layer seven and look at it. But you got better hardware, you got dedicated hardware just to that particular task, and you got better pipes, so you're getting more throughput, mm -hmm. and the, the product has become doable. Plus, there's a bigger data set. I mean, yeah. the, as the data sets get larger and people know what to look for, everything gets smarter. Huh. And, and a it's lot of funny this you say that. So when I was at the uh, university, uh, we had what is now <laughs> Juniper firewalls. Actually, when I first started in their NetScreen firewalls, yep. uh, and they would put new product on our network, and 
we would, they would go, oh my God, I've never seen any of that stuff before, right? <laughs> exactly. But now, you know, the, since the products have been out and, there, and there are it's just, a much better experience. There are just so many protocols in TCP, and yeah, people can masquerade them, and there's always new techniques to get around things, yeah. but, but a lot of what you're protecting against are just known threats. So I, I think application security next-gen has improved quite a bit. It's, it's, uh, it was a time it wasn't really usable. It was mm -hmm. just something that was so tweaky yeah. that you did, unless you had a lot of resources to dedicate to it, it was just going to cause you more trouble than it was worth. But today, it's starting to become useful. No, that's good. Um, so I guess the, the final topic I wanted to cover is how, how do I use uh, and construct my network security architecture to protect legacy applications that maybe it's six months or a year before that thing's going to get updated. I know it has vulnerabilities. What can I do on the network to protect these applications? Put it in a bubble. Yeah, for those, oh, go you've got to isolate them. Yeah, it's got to be a bubble. If you have, if you have some line of business application that only runs on Windows XP, right? And, and, and there's companies that have mm -hmm. this. Maybe whoever developed the software is gone, but I'm still legally responsible for maintaining that data. So, so I have to have a Windows XP machine. Great. Well, <laughs> you know, that's got to be isolated. And fortunately, things like virtualization have really helped with doing that. You know, you yeah. can create. A VM with no network adapter, right. <laughs> and now you've got a machine that's that's relatively safe to use. It, it would be difficult to exfiltrate data from that. So, the trick is identifying that, knowing it's there, because mm. sometimes the IT department isn't necessarily aware of that, and end users might be. So, having a good inventory of what is being used on the network, having that network visibility, and if you haven't architected your network in a way to be able to see that, to have a monitor to be able to to check in, um, you know, a lot of us have. Wireshark, and you can monitor ports, and you might just do it sometimes, but we need to be collecting data like that all the time. And intrusion detection devices will help you with that, um, that we can spot that and make sure the traffic is being isolated or at least restricted from being able to get out to the internet or other machines. That's going to be really critical for when you have dated applications. And I think that a lot of times there's a uh, an investment in maintaining that software that companies choose not to do because it's expensive and they think it's old software. But if we remember the cost of if that data gets leaked out, that's pretty significant. But the other thing is we need to remember that data has a lifetime and you don't want to keep data beyond that lifetime. If I am required to maintain data for seven years and it's been seven years in one month, that data should be gone mm -hmm. because now it's a liability if I still have it. So yep. we need to be tracking that. Well, my, mine is, when you're worried, slice it finer. That's always been my policy about networks. So what that means is that if you've got a guy over there who's a little bit crazy, but he needs what he's doing because he's a researcher or what have you. You've worked at a university, Doug. <laughs> and, and, a, and a creepy government lab. Uh, and, and but he's crazy, but you want to spend time with him. That's what I found, too. Oh, they were yeah. the, like the most awesome people to spend oh, time with. Oh, I mean, the government lab was awesome. You could walk in a lab and you go, wow, what is that guy doing? Or you get to see somebody run out of a room and pull the chemical shower. I mean, yeah, you always wanted to yeah. see, I always wanted to see that. And I actually got to see it well, once just a guy really comes cool. running out of a room like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, are you all going to die? And everybody's like, get back, get back. And turned out it was just he spilled coffee that was really hot. But, oh, okay. Yeah, but we were all like, how's that? Oh, my God. It's, just, it's the end. It's the end. To an incident response at a university you know, was, was very but, challenging yeah. in that respect. Yes. But, but if you slice it finer, so that means if you've got a lab that has three servers and they say, I want to run Windows NT 4.0 because I need to because yeah. we're doing this project and it won't run. And, I, and I've had people like that who are saying, I've got old Fortran programs. They'll only run on this. Uh, I don't even want to 
try to update. Slice that finer. The, the thinner the pipe that they're on, the easier it is to monitor that particular pipe. And I mean, and you can block it too, because now you don't have to say, oh, we need web traffic coming in there. I mean, I just put those guys in a bubble, and I sliced them off on their own VLAN, and I literally just blocked everything to this. It was the server was sold. It didn't even need to communicate. So it was like, okay, so now I got that one server way over here. If they come back and say, oh, it's got to talk to these two desktops, okay, figure it out. Mm -hmm. But keep slicing it as fine as you possibly can, because then when you need to look at it, you know what to look at, and you're not looking right, at a big, right. giant, fat pipe of noise. You're looking at one little tiny set of streams that's going between this server. Like, I have one, and, and his goes between this server and another server in Virginia. That's it, and it's just, it's just it's a few packets. Mm -hmm. All these, it's almost like heartbeat traffic, and I don't let anything except that one little thing go between those two servers, and, and nobody else can touch it because I don't. It's old, and I don't mm -hmm. want nobody messing with it. So it's just nice and locked over there. So the finer you slice it, the easier it's going to be to observe, and the easier it's going to be to manage. And, and instead of just throwing it all in the big tank and saying, "Okay, everybody, jump in and go for it." Well, Doug and Don, thank you so much uh, for the discussion today. Don, the best of luck with the uh, <laughs> impending doom that's heading your way. I hope you all don't get like washed away, like that movie Flushed Away or something. I watched like the that, next, uh, the next time Don joins us, it's just like water. You know, it's He's like, going to be in a scuba gear. It's like fish floating by <laughs> or something under the camera. Well, you know, I, I appreciate it, and we've gotten a, a flood of concern here from people that, uh, you know, want to make sure we're going to do okay. You can tell, yeah, we're, uh, we're, uh, <laughs> the empathy's flowing free here. <laughs> Don, thank you so yeah, much. But, you know, the, the reality is don't worry about us. We're on high ground. Worry about the people on the coast. Yeah, yeah need the most absolutely. Yeah. All righty. Until next time, thank you, everyone, for listening and watching Enterprise Security Weekly. See everyone next time.